0: I usually ask people, you know, what got you into UFOs or what got you into investigating UFOs, but your case is already quite known. And fair to say that, you know, one of the things that really bugged me about the media is that somebody as highly qualified as yourself. You're the top in the world, you know, with the equipment that you're using and you're part of the defense of the United States. It doesn't really get higher than you for radar uh, technician and, and, and your job. But the fact that that moved you to, to that level of saying, I need to start investigating this, that's really, that's really cool. You're unique in that sense.
1: It really is a unique story. You know, I'd spent um, 18 years in those same waters on three different one ships, um, hundreds of intercepts in my logbook, uh, wartime operations included, uh, hundreds of... Um, <laughs> untold hours on the, behind that radar, you know? I had never seen anything that flew like that, ever. In fact, when it first started happening, I started picking them up off, uh, <clears throat> up to the north of us, off the islands, off the Channel Islands. Um, they were appearing like in groups of five to 10 at a time every time I was up on watch. And even, by the way, even when I wasn't on watch, I was usually up in combat anyway, writing a message or doing something for the captain. And at the time I was thinking, what flies like that? Nothing I've ever seen before. they they were in groups of five to ten to twenty eight thousand feet, tracking south at about hundred knots. And at the time, we were, everyone on the ship. We're, of course, we were tracking and reporting and reporting them on our data links, right? As unknowns, but at the time, everyone was thinking, "Well, they're probably just something civilian related. They're up there doing their own thing. They don't even know we're down here." And we didn't we didn't see it as a threat whatsoever until the the morning of the north, the fourteenth of November rolled around. We were going to be at do a big, huge air defense exercise. And I was getting ready to launch a bunch of aircraft off the limits, a bunch of aircraft off the beach. We're going to go head-to-head.
0: And this is routine, right, Kevin? Like, this is, like, business as usual, right? Routine training operation, right? And that's
1: when I became concerned. Cap came down to combat and said, hey, uh, sir, you know, we've been tracking these unknown contacts in the airspace for several days now, and no one knows what they are. I'm gravely concerned about safety of flight because we're going to launch a bunch of aircraft and we've got these objects in the airspace. And if something happens, there's an uh, air-to-air mishap. Someone's going to ask both you, sir, and me, why we were so damn curious about these things. And he kind of pauses and he looks at me and says, you're right, senior chief. And he reluctantly gave me uh, an order to intercept one. And Fast Eagle was airborne with Commander Fravor and um, the E-2 Hawkeye had the Control of them but they didn't have they didn't have good radar. I had rules so we took control, we did the intercept and the, the rest is pretty much history. Um commander Frever's story it lasts about 10 minutes during that intercept. My story lasts for um days at that time and right you know, years now years Right. Because it affected me, you know it it had effects on me, which led one thing led to another and I as you know I've eventually started a UAP Expeditions, it's a nonprofit here in Oregon, and we are going back out to the channel Islands, and we're going to try to refine these objects, and we're taking a bunch of really cool, um, really, really cool technology with us. It's going to help us find them.
0: I had um, Kevin Knuth, uh, your buddy from uh, the organization, I believe, uh, he was on That's- as well, and he was talking about this. Now, do you think that that spot is the hot spot, like they're, they're, that they're always going to be there because... I mean, there was a big bombshell this week that got dropped with like the Navy confirming like almost two weeks of like really up close. Um, And and here's the part again that I don't think the media is really picking up on because this should be really huge in the news more than it is. If it's that close to a ship with the technology that you guys, you know, even since you retired, I mean, should technology probably advance since then, that close to you and you still can't identify it. You guys are the highest military in the world with the best technologies and if you guys can't identify it that is a bigger concern for the world like the world should actually be concerned about that um more than it is and i think you know it should be more of a bombshell than it is your story should be a lot more prominent like like you mentioned you had like two weeks of like what the fuck is this you know Like, and it's frustrating because it's your job. You know, you're, you're the guy that has to do it. Um, And I, I I could see the frustration of that. Now, before that point, Kevin, have you ever had any interest in UFOs? Did you ever have a sighting? Um, In
1: 1983, I was living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we were coming back fishing from one of the upper lakes. And all of a sudden my um, now ex-brother-in-law slams on the brakes of the Jeep. And he picks up binoculars and hands them over me and I looked down into the valley and that the only one in time the only one time I ever saw one I saw a, a UFO disc shape and it was kind of hovering above a little mountain and we watched it for a little while and we went home and ate dinner <laughs> Right. right. All, you know, pretty much forgotten all about UFOs since then
0: but it's weird because most people have a story like that like oh yeah it's like why didn't you make a big deal of it? It's almost like it it's in the background of our minds like we know they're there, you know it's a, but we don't acknowledge it and when we see it, we dismiss it because it doesn't fit everything else that we do
1: yeah you don't want to get ridic- you don't want to get rid of people you know who's going to believe you, you
0: know well it was and it was that way for a long time, Kevin, but it's not that way anymore like your story resonated with so many people, myself included um you know when you yeah, it got me off the fucking couch I'll tell you that um it got me active and i think a bunch of people are feeling the same you guys are actually building a momentum here and with your experience like seeing that as you know when you were younger and then having to actually deal with it on a professional level for you this is a lot more cemented than it would be for most people
1: well i um i gave up trying to tell people about it because i just got these long down the long you know down the nose looks and no one really believes you you kind of get the impression they don't come out and say that but they're like What have you been smoking? You know, you can kind of see it in their eyes, right? So I I got really frustrated. I was living in Arizona at the time working for a Department of Defense contractor, and I started to have really bad nightmares of the eschatological, like, end of the world type stuff, right? I found out later it was was probably related to what I was experiencing. But what I did do that was probably really beneficial for me is I I wrote a short story called This Year. And I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read it. I can send it to you.
0: And what's it called, Kevin?
1: The Seer. The, the name of the book is called Sailor's Anthology. And it's free online. It's a, you can download it as a PDF. It's also available on Amazon. You can purchase it.
0: Probably just enter Kevin Day and it would probably pop up, right?
1: Kevin Day Sailor's Anthology. And what I did is I took, I took that event that really happened and I fictionalized it. And the reason why I did that is because I, there were still people active duty. People had defense contracting jobs. I didn't want to name names and real dates and stuff. But I was hoping that if this story ever became public, that my book that I published in 2009 in the Library of Congress would it would become Contemporary Evidence. And in fact, it has. You know, my, my book, my story kind of cements the fact that it really did happen. Yeah, and, and yeah. It really did happen. We brought... When it was going on, we were kind of thinking, well, maybe it's a system malfunction because we had just received a major upgrade for our system, Right. which, oh by, the belief, oh, by the way, I believe that's what allowed us to suddenly see see these things that have maybe been there for a long, long, long time.
0: Oh, well, see, that's an interesting fact. So you guys yeah. just switched. What was it that was significant to was the, the switch?
1: I, heard, I didn't even know. I didn't even know they had done it because I only had a secret clearance. I didn't find out until later. Oh, shit. I was able to put it all together.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's that's a big that's a big clue right there. New sensors yeah. only picking up. What was it about the sensors are picking it up now? That's interesting.
1: I think well before um we would get what we call zoomers, all of a sudden you get a, a random spurious check of but this, the software was designed to just drop them out because they thought it was just cluttered. Right. Um but maybe some of those zoomers were actually the real McCoy and this this new software upgrade maybe suddenly allowed us to track them instead of right. dropping
0: them. And so was there a confusion then at that point, like if you're seeing this, did you think, oh, maybe it's just the new system being stupid?
1: Yeah, we, um, we brought down all the systems and ran um, all the diagnostics tests that we had. And we brought everything back up and the result was they were even clearer, more solid than they were before. I had, the high, I had the highest quality um, spy tracks available in the system on these, on these objects the entire time. They, they were definitely real.
0: The thing is, for me, it's like the minute that I, you know, saw you on the, some of the documentaries, I'm like, he's not bullshitting. And your position, literally, like if anybody like uses their mind for, you know, a second, sees the position that you have, the training that you have, and if you, the expert, can't figure it out, the hell it is solid objects. And even when you send out, you know, the planes, that didn't have any weapons on them or anything like that. Training environment, yeah, training environment. It's probably good. I, I remember an incident. Uh, I think it was '89 or something. That Iranian pilot was dispatched for an intercept, and after you know trying to make contact, and the object wouldn't. They got confirmation to shoot it down, and when he went to shoot it down, flicked the switch, it shut off his plane. Um, what What's really weird about these things is like the craft itself is conscious. It's like what, whoever's flying it, the consciousness extends to the craft. And it can actually, like, they know what you're going to do before you do it. So if yep. we tried to attack him, and like I said, you know, just his story, if he's like, I regret it. Like, to this day, I regret flipping that switch. Because, like, what if that was a chance for contact, you know?
1: I'm definitely aware. Um, Commander Fravord, I, I vectored him in. He was about 28,000 feet. And all of a sudden, I had the the voice comms in the radio overheads. Everyone listening, all of a sudden we hear, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm engaged, I'm engaged. Shit. It shocked him, and then that object kind of barrel rolled around him and went from twenty eight thousand feet down to fifty feet in point seven eight seconds. I found out later the next morning when we were reviewing the recording. Right, watched it live end on
0: the recording. It was less than a second. So you were you were on shift, right? Because you you were the one that uh, had sent him to that. Uh, I was the guy doing the intercept. I was a supervisor,
1: but in the, my uh, junior my junior guy was actually sitting at the console, patrolling him. And I was standing back in the back, um, keeping everyone in combat informed what was going on as
0: so was playing the supervisor just the role. Question Do you remember what went through your head when you heard him say, Engaged, I'm engaged?
1: It, it was like a slap in the face. It's like, Okay, I knew they were real, but now I'm positive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to shit my pants.
1: <laughs> yeah, he left his wing in the high, he went chasing it down below, down to the surface. And that he saw some kind of disturbance in the water. And then found out later there was a little white. Tic tac sheep object was kind of darting around about 50 feet above the water. He comes down, and he intercepts again with it. He gets in another dogfight with it. In, his, um, in air defense, we use what is known as combat air patrol stations. We call them CAP for short. And basically, it just points around the perimeter in case something comes at us. We're already in position to intercept it, right? Right. Somehow, this object went from where he was to his CAP position. It was about 40 miles away in two seconds right on his cap mission. I'm talking the exact Latin long and the exact assigned altitude. And he hadn't even been there. He had he have he had to go to his cap station. He had just launched off
0: the carrier. How in the hell did that object know the that that, do that, you do that yeah. was? I'm talking right on it, too. Not, and it's in the middle of the ocean. It's not like it's a landmark. It's an arbitrary
1: point that I would written in, a message, in the message traffic when I wrote the... Because I was a guy that designed the air defense exercise, right? You had to wrote the message. and I drafted it and went up chain of command and went out as nothing. So how in the hell? Yeah. I mean, to this day, I don't know. And that's what kind of spurs me out. I, I still want to make that ID, man. The only thing in the Navy I was never able to ID. And I, God willing, I'm going to make the ID.
0: And it's the thing about these buggers, it's like once you have an interaction that is significant, you can't drop it. And it doesn't matter who. It could be the president of the United States looking me in the face saying, no, there's not. And I would still, you know, after I saw one when I was a kid, there's no way I will ever be convinced by another human that those buggers aren't real.
1: Yeah, um, on our first expedition um, coming up in the summer and the fall of this year, I can't talk a lot about it because hope is we have some technology that can actually, Their binoculars are called photodiode binoculars, and I got entertained by the name of by the name of David Mason is the one that invented them. And let's say you're looking at a commercial airliner for a minute, take the image of the airliner and then turn it into a binary sound file. And then it can take the binary sound file and turn it back into an image. So what I'm hoping to do is if we find these things, I hope to actually communicate with them. So
0: would these be available to like other investigators? Is this something that okay. would be, Yeah. And, yeah. and would this be sold from like the sponsor that is making these? Or? I
1: will put you directly in contact with David Mason if you want
0: to. Yeah, and give me the link because I, w- I will post it for all the investigators uh, listening to this podcast because this is a product that they're going to want if if that's available. Um, I've had a lot of experts on, and you know they're describing that these things mimic our crafts, meaning that they mimic helicopters and planes, and the only way that we can find out that they are is that they can't get the Doppler sound affect correctly according to our hearing and that's usually what is a dead giveaway um is that something that this technology could kind of help work like if it can't identify it
1: yeah we have some pretty pretty cool technology um you probably heard of skyhub yes yeah we're, we're taking skyhub with us um, we're taking a ufo dap with us and basically it's um multi-modality sensory equipment um Things like radiation, uh, magnetism, gravity, uh, gra- it can measure gravity changes and local gravity changes. Right. And, it, and what we're hoping is um, we're hoping to come up with some sort of irrefutable data. And our, my only job, our only job is to actually record and collect the data. I and mean, we're giving it all over to people like Kevin Knuth at the State University in New York and yeah. Yeah. Scientific, Scientific Coalition for Ufology. And we're saying, here you go, guys. You tell us what it was. We recorded it. Now you figure it out. They're really smart people, you know? Yeah. I'm kind of dumb compared to some of those guys.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Kevin was on, and he used to talk to me about his computations, and I'm like, my eyes went, you you lost oh, me. Like, yeah. math has never been my friend, you know?
1: And Another reason why I was so affected by this, because this was my very last underway on a Navy ship. I was getting ready to go to Admiral Duty on the shore. I was going to retire, which I did this was my last underway on the ship and it was my very last intercept out of hundreds and oddly enough and it sounds crazy as how every time i say this to someone but that when this was happening i had just had this weird feeling they were saying goodbye to me i know that sounds crazy huh it, it really does that's the feeling that i had it's the honest to god truth i was like these things came to say goodbye to you kev I think they had been there for a long, 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 long time. And I think they're connected to sea life.
0: So do you think that you might have had other instances previous? Because if it feels personal, usually I study a lot on the abduction phenomenon. That's actually where I want to specialize um, in this field because ufology, and I put that in quote because it's not. You know, we say ufologies if it's a big title, but there's no university for us to go to, and it's a really just a free-for-all. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't like using that. Uh, I prefer research, you know. Uh, but in, in my research, the abduction phenomenon has been something I've been focusing on the most and sort of working on now. Uh, but here's a, a common thread, and specifically because of your position. Uh, for the military, it's they've been active for a long time. Uh, specifically concerned with the nukes, you know. Uh, but the thing is, they've never shown aggression. Nope. In the seventy-five years that we've been here, I've never seen them show and aggression. During the, yeah, am I, I right?
1: During uh, the Nimitz encounters, I'd never once had any sort of inkling that these things were in any way, shape, or form aggressive or hostile. My only, my only concern was safety a play. I didn't want to run into one. Yeah, because then I'm going to get asked some hard questions, right? Well, someone could have died, you know. My job is safety of flight. My primary responsibility is safety of flight. So that's that's how the intercept happened. It, it wasn't at all out of the concern for, oh my God, these things could be hostile. Um, no, not at all. The back, they responded like they just wanted to be left alone.
0: Took the yeah. high road. They always they take the high back, road. Yeah.
1: They, they grouped back up and they just kept tracking south again. Interestingly enough, every there was probably a hundred of these things. If I counted them up over ten days, and they occurred in groups of five to ten each, if I counted them all up over that course of time, it was about a hundred objects. And interesting enough, Jason, they, every one of those objects disappeared off my radar, and the ship's moving around, so that you know our, our search volume is moving around too, right? Right. Every one of these. Objects disappeared in the same spot in the sky, right above Guadalupe Island off the coast of Mexico. That's why when Lou Alzando came, when I did my very first interview with him, that's he. As soon as I told him that he's like, I'm going out there, and that's why they went out to Guadalupe Island they right. to talk to the fishermen. And there's all kinds of stories of these objects, by the way, with the fishermen down there.
0: So, so it, 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 if they were to have, you know, we gotta say in our our term or our species way of, you know, like a a layer, not a layer, but like a base of operation. The ocean is the perfect the planet is mostly ocean. So if you're gonna hide, and they have the technology obviously to do that. Um I was telling somebody I had done an investigation and on the video we calculated this thing. It's a two-second video. So we calculated the frames, you know, in between the two seconds. Uh, I have a guy who's like really great at math because I told you I suck. Uh, but we calculated the size of about a Ford pickup truck, F 250. It yeah. emerged out of the river at Mach 3.2. Whoa. Never, never broke the surface. It's the size of a pickup truck. The water never broke. And you see it just go like the kid must have had a horseshoe up his ass when he, he took that picture because I guess the app on his phone takes a two second video before the picture captures. He was just looking at the eagles in the river. He never saw that thing with his own eyes. But when he went home, he's like, what the hell is that? And he sent it to me. And we, you know, it's a MUFON, official MUFON investigation. We're all blown away by that case. Like, it's amazing. It's in the rivers as much as it is in the oceans or atmospheres. No sonic booms. Nothing. We didn't have any sonic booms.
1: I should have heard a series of sonic booms. From your location? Yeah, because these things were pulling, the math's been crunched on it now. These things are pulling like 35 G's.
0: And, um, Which is not possible for humans to survive. Oh, hell no. Um, so yeah. there's there's theories out there about what
1: these things were. And one of the latest theories that I heard, and my mind is open on this. I'm, I'm not saying they're little green men. I have a question. I, I, I want to make that identification. But one of the current, theories that I heard is maybe they really are a life form that have the ability to take on physical, to manifest physical form, become uh, solid objects, in other words, that they're actually a form of life we didn't know
0: about before.
1: I mean, that's just one thing. Right.
0: Or we knew, but just ignored it. Right? I th- I said, or we yeah. knew, but just ignored it. Like, if you look back at, you know, how far this goes, like even the Australia, that one cave that dates back 5,000 years, they're greys. You can tell they're greys. They have big black eyes, big bulbous head. 5,000 years that thing is. Um, and the thing is, even looking at the phenomenon, because, you know, I, I think they're they're one and the same. If you confirm that we have objects in the sky that can fly the way it is, we still can't identify them, you can't throw out abduction phenomenon. Because I think they both go hand in hand, and if you want to find out why they're here, observe the abductees. At least, yeah, You really
1: believe all those people are lying? Just common everyday people. I don't. I've i never had a I've never had an abduction experience that I can remember. And, but if I if I had if I did have, had a, you and know, I had one, I would I would talk about it. But I haven't. You know, as far as I know.
0: As far as um, you know, our nature we're very violent and we sort of have a, if we're threatened, we kill first. I mean, humans, we lived along other human species. Like we were homo sapiens. We killed Neanderthals, Desinovians. Like we fought with them all the time. They were a threat to our race, if you will. Now that we've eliminated them, we fight amongst ourselves, but we're very violent. And a message that they constantly seem to say is that you're violent prone. You're an actual concern as a larger community, like this is not normal. You're not normal. And it's easy to say, well, maybe they're just trying to trick us, but what if they're not? What if it's true that we're not normal? Like, think about how many wars we engage in. And I don't need to tell you, I mean, obviously you were part of that. Um, there's something innately wrong with us to devalue ourselves, life, um, the armament that we have. Like, think about how many nukes are pointed at ourselves. They're not pointing at others. We got them in space pointing at us, and they're on the ground meant to hit the ground again. That That is our nature, and I think it's wrong. And when you think about these people saying, they constantly say, you're fucking up. You're fucking up. And that's the message across the board. Even the kids in Zimbabwe, the aerial school, had the same message. Environment, you're violent. Um, there's something wrong. Change your ways. Right. And so far they haven't attacked us. So they might be right. Um, that's, you know, that's another possibility we have to look at is that we might be in the wrong in this case. We, you know, uh, think that they're a threat. We want to shoot them down. I don't think we should. And, and, and think about this, Jason, let's say we're successful in this
1: snowball that we started keeps keep rolling downhill and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden it becomes undeniable and, whatever it is becomes world known. And it's a known fact. Now, how, how is that going to change history for the good? I hope. Yeah. I mean, it's going to definitely change. It's going gonna, gonna to change stuff, right? It has to. And then the technologies too. I mean,
0: Everything. Yeah. Everything. I think Bob Lazar said it best when he said, you know, I understand that keep things classified. Like if you have, you know, a craft You don't want everybody to have access to it. Obviously, I understand that. But not telling the general population of our situation that, no, we're not alone. Far from it. They might have been here a very long time or maybe from the start. We don't know. Right. But the, the, constantly throwing our heads in the sand and saying, you know, if we ignore it, like, I'll give you an example. My wife and I were driving one night. It was October 31st. I remember that. My, I had a 6 months old in the back. And my wife starts freaking out. She sees these three massive orbs in the sky right above the highway and we're adjacent to it. And she's like, what's that? What's that? She's freaking out because these things aren't normal. They're bright. They're orbs. It's not helicopters. No sound. And I pulled over to the side of the road and I observed them. And the one that was on top dropped behind the mountain. Uh, there was two of them that flew together, merged together, then went above the mountain and just Faded.
1: Out of sight. Yep. And it Affects you. There's no way you can go through an experience like you went through, There's, I and others on the ship went through, and not be affected. You're probably not human. If that's the case, You're probably brain dead. Um, it, it's like we're chimpanzees in the tree, right? And they can see the commercial airliner going by, but they totally dismiss it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that's the way UFOs have been all these for the last 80 years.
0: There's something like, you know, even when they look in the abductee case, they say that our psyche is too fragile. You got to wait till your consciousness is better. You got to wait till your consciousness is better. And what does that mean? I gave an example um, the other day. It's not a pretty example, but it's our history. Before this time, you know, we have the me too and everybody's exposed for what they are. The history of people has been disgusting. The amount of, you know, uh, horrible things that were taking place even amongst family members for the past was disgusting was disturbing why we weren't conscious we were just basing ourselves on basic things but we're coming more aware now that we're messed up you know we got Greta Thunberg you know she's 14 and she's like guys what the fuck <laughs> you know uh and but your the movement that you guys have caused i mean you came out other people have come out um fravor came out You know, you got guys like Joe Rogan that really start putting UFOs in in, in the public domain, which it should be. Um, And I mentioned that before, like, you guys are the most, the people we should take the most seriously. Like, there is nobody on this planet that had the positions you had at that time. Highest Navy in the world. China debatable, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe in the future. But at the time, highest military, you know. I was in all the bush wars, hundreds of interceptions. Wartime war time operations, too. Yeah. I've, I've
1: never found that before. What you're saying is right. I mean, I, I had to speak out, but when no one would listen to me, not even the admiral, when I was getting ready to retire, I tried to tell him, but I, I got these odd looks. So that's why I published my book in the Library of Congress. And I kind of I moved on. I ended up coming back home here to Oregon, quit my defense contracting job. I went searching for gold And that old gold mining claim my family's had for hundred years here in the Calumetops wilderness. And I found it just so, you know, I'll, I'll send you my mining research, but it's right in the middle of the wilderness. so We're never going to mine it. I ended up buying a little house um, out in the country and I started having a lot of free time. So I heard the golf course down here in town was having a hard time. So I went down there, I started to volunteer and I did every job there from night watering to reopening the kitchen and I worked, did, did it all for free. To try to save the golf course, right? I had just reopened the kitchen, hadn't hired a waiter or waitress yet. So I was taking food out of the kitchen and we were watching, you know, it's a golf course. We we're watching a golf tournament. And all of a sudden I noticed CNN was on. I was like, who the hell? And then I saw what was on CNN. It was that video that I had my email the very next morning, man. I was so fucking, I was so fucking shocked. I dropped the plate of food. It, it shook me to my core, man. It's like, oh my god, it, it the story is out there now. It still makes me emotional. I mean,
0: it was a feeling of vindication. Yeah. And have you had more people then from like um, the military reach out to you then and say, Dude, I, I've seen you? Yeah. It really was. In fact,
1: uh, more and more people are starting to come out um, that were actually on watch with me just re- and just recently, too. And it took them a while because they, they had their own defense contracting job. I mean, they all had their reasons why they remained silent, but more and more they're coming
0: up. So, when you saw that CNN report, and then, like, just I'm guessing it took you a few days to just process this. And who was it? Like, was it Fravor that spoke first, or did you come out and go, dude? Yeah, because you were the one who was the.
1: Well, if, if Commander Fravor had never come out, we probably wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah, I mean, I give him full credit for that. You bet I do.
0: It pushed you to come out as well?
1: Once I saw the story break on CNN. Yeah, yeah. I, I had moved on in life because no one was going to believe me. I'd published my book. I was moving on, you know. And I, I'm not going to say I'd pretty much forgotten all about it, but I had moved past it and I was focused on other things in life. But when that thing hit me right in the face that day at the golf course, I knew I had to speak out. There was, that was my moment, you know. Okay, this is your chance. That's yeah. the reason why you published your book, Kevin. Let's, let's back up, Commander Fravor. You I felt. I felt obligated to support my former shipmate in what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. Overwhelming feeling of um, responsibility that I had to him, back to yeah. back him up.
0: You know, because but- he he you know he had that experience because you sent him there, and I could see that like how that would make you feel. I mean, that's an aspect that they never ask you, but that's a big fucking burden to have heard. I'm engaged. Like the, my heart would sink if I sent people there knowing they had no, you know, uh, no weaponry on it. I, I, that's an aspect that I think of your case a lot, that that is probably a psychological thing that you're processing that other people don't even think about.
1: Yeah, and just, and just a, a point of clarification, the word engage doesn't mean you're actually shooting. It just means you're...
0: you're engaged in a, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're in the same piece of sky with something you've been intercepted. To do.
0: Right, because they were left going left. around kind of like in circles. Yeah, or, be, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah that's, but... That's,
1: That's what it means.
0: Still would be scary because that's not something to be expected. Something that's been hovering above the water, you think, you know, for that long to move at that speed.
1: When that happened, he had like like 4,000 hours in the airplane. I mean, he had a lot of, I mean, imagine the shock that he had. Yeah. And you could hear it in his voice on the radio. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm engaged. I'm engaged. It it shocked him because that's not supposed to happen, right? (laughs)
0: Well, you could see, the thing is the same thing as with abductees. When somebody has an experience, especially in your case, this was a military, an official military incident. Um, the fact that you, like, it's almost like it's not post-traumatic stress, but it affected you on a level that changed the course of your thinking and yeah. what the hell. And only that, but like, I have to tell other people to wake the fuck up uh, because, I mean, it's not just the silencing in the military, like what you've experienced, but the citizens of, you know, I've been silenced and who knows how many people and what took place for them to keep silent and they were felt like they were crazy. It's the same analogy as like a child who is touched by an uncle and everybody knows, but nobody says shit. They all pretend it doesn't exist. Right? It, it's not there. It's the exact same feeling as what this phenomenon feels like when you experience it and everybody looks at you like you're crazy. Yep. Uh, it's stupid, but that's exactly what the analogy is, you know?
1: Yeah, so you shut up. I also believe that we will communicate or at least handshake them, you know? Like, technically Electronically handshake with them. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. If I didn't believe it, we were going to be successful, maybe I wouldn't even be doing it. I don't know. Yeah.
0: But it's great. But I'm, I'm confident we'll find them. But it's great that, you, like I said, that you had that momentum and that you said, you know, I'm I need to do something about it. I need to get up and move. And even if you think...
1: I think, I think intention plays a big role in this because
0: Commander Fravor didn't shoot that Tic Tac video. The, the second... That wasn't on your shift, though, was it? I was on the Princeton. It's a
1: cruiser. And, you know, all the aircraft are on the aircraft here. I mean, and then the second flight launches, um, Chad Underwood was his name, right? He's the guy that actually shot the flare video. He yells out real loud for everyone to hear. I'm going to go find those things, <laughs> and he did. Yeah. So that I think intention plays a role in this. I really do.
0: Well, you know, for so long I dismissed mm-hmm. the consciousness aspect of those crafts, but I, I've I've recanted uh, because they are, the crafts themselves seems conscious. Like when people say, "Oh, yeah. like I felt like yep. it was looking at me," uh, yep. the consciousness is there, and not only that. But if you think. You know, like you said, like you think, I want to find you, I want to find you. They pop up. Um, and, yeah. And just getting brazen, like just let's face it, they're getting closer and closer to those warships.
1: Just, just recently, Story. what was it, last week the story came out, and what was it, 2019? Or all those, they're calling them drones, harassing the U.S. The, 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 off the post. What? I, and I heard one of the objects actually hovered right above the flight deck uh, where the, they landed and launched the helo.
0: Yeah.
1: For like 20 minutes, it just followed right up, followed the ship, hovering right above the flight deck. Can you?
0: Wow. <laughs> I would have loved to have been there to have witnessed that. But you know what? It kind of feels like that we're like uh, toddlers running with scissors and they're trying to point that out. Like every time that we're in war, like even Afghanistan, uh, Syria. There's constant engagement with these things. They're always where war happens. And they're constantly telling us, you guys are fucked up. They might be right. That's what I'm trying to say is that, you know, you being in the military, that was your job to, you know, if you had to kill people, that was your job to make sure that the operation took place. And yet you've had that experience. Like they're, they're almost like. The opposite. They they show the opposite of aggression. They're, they acted like a flock of
1: birds. Like you see a flock of birds, you throw an corn at them. And they all scatter yeah. and they regroup and go on their way. That's exactly yeah. how they behave, like some super capable Flockabirds.
0: Because they know our nature. They know what we do, how scared we are, right. and that we'll attack them first. And, and that's they treat us that yeah. way. But they also, like, I think the point that they're, you know, what they're doing with like the nuclear facilities or even the warships now, I think what they're trying to tell us is like, hey, you know, just want you to know, anytime. That we want to, we out technology, like shut you all down, you know, but that's, they're, they're showing the peace or that they want to make peace because they keep approaching the ships and, and showing these, like the, the most powerful weapons on this planet, that they're not showing any aggression towards them. So that's what I mean. We need to start addressing that and stop saying, what's the threat level? What's the threat level? Fuck. If there was a threat level, they would have already done it. I
1: think, yeah. A long, 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 panel. Exactly.
0: <laughs> So it's, it's as much of a reflection yeah. on ourselves, Kevin, as it is about them. It's about our understanding of ourselves, the nature, and that they might be right. There might be something innately wrong with us that causes us to be the way that we are. Our emotions, allegedly, is what scares the shit out of them. They feel it, but they don't feel on the level that we do, and we're driven by emotion, like guys that kill their wives in the heat of passion, right? Um, that's the problem with our species, and yeah. we got to maybe understand that for once we might be in the wrong right uh, at least that's my understanding of this phenomenon or at least I hope that it, that's what it is but you know seeing you change <laughs> you know like we keep talking about oh, people high in the military well fuck you were pretty high up there you know admiral and, um, and seeing you change come around go holy shit no there's something to this and we got to stop denying it right
1: the author of American Cosmic, Dr. Diana Pesalka, I'm going to, I wrote her a letter and you know, i saying, this is my experience after this, and it totally co- um, corroborates what you're saying in your book. Well, I'm going to send you that letter that I wrote her. It, it'll fill in a lot of the holes you probably have in my story. I'll send you, I'll send you my mining research because when I went back to the calmeopsis, um I made some geological discoveries too and I'm not a geologist but I was able to put it all together and people are like wow <laughs> a big
0: a, a big factor uh in sightings are gold mines they are a gold mine for UFO sightings uh, I had a gentleman who worked at one and there was um he thought the guys on the site were joking when they told him that at night there's like black triangles above the mine and he he laughed but one of the truckers told him, no they're not shitting like they're they're there um, and it's the same with, uh, other invest or cases that I investigated. There's something about gold specifically, um, that they're interested in. And then looking into it, gold is the last thing that the sun produces as it goes supernova. The, the power, the force, I don't think they can recreate. So gold is probably the only mineral that they have to get from the ground, which it's already solidified. They can't recreate it. So that's my theory behind it, but definitely watch your gold. Yeah. Definitely watch your mind. Uh, because you might at night see shit. Maybe it's the reason why I
1: went there. Maybe I was guided and nudged in the right direction. You know?
0: Well, what's really weird about this phenomenon is that everybody does has a story related like yourself, whether they're in military or civilians, all end up in some sort of geological endeavor or environmental endeavor. Which, again, it's like if that's an influence of them, how is that? In any shape, way, form, a threat, right? Um, how long have they been saying that this environment needs to change? We're changing our consciousness, and all of us are like, we need to change our ways. You got Greta Thunberg who is really adamant why? That's the change. Yeah. When are you thinking about writing the book, Kevin? I've already started. I've, um, so, I mean, it's
1: easy to write. I'm just writing about my life and what happened to me. So, the typical autobiographies are not hard, but I, I've been doing it part-time for quite a while now. So if this thing comes to fruition and we actually do find these things, I'll be ready for a book deal.
0: But the pull, though, you know, like I said, why is it that you're now obsessed with the subject? Why is it that you're drawn to do things like this? And everybody, like even the gentleman here in B.C., moved from B.C. to Ontario to buy a spot of land that they wanted him to be at. That would take you four days of travel. They took him there in, like, less than 20 minutes. And he said, you need to be here. And it was something related to the lake and the pollution. They showed him the pollution. Flew him back to wow. B.C. Uh I did a, a special on him and another gentleman here in B.C. And they all felt this connection and that they were driven to this thing. I've learned more about investigating investigators than I would on my own.
1: And we all kind of back each other up, don't we? Ended. I'm not making this up. Jesus, I wouldn't. I'd rather kill myself than come out with a big lie like this. I really would I, Ain't no way I could live with myself if, if I was lying. I mean, look at me. I'm, I can't even talk about without being emotional, man. Fucking lying?
0: And and seeing what um was coming out, uh, you know, seeing what Lou was doing, I'm like, why can't I be doing something related really to this? So that's really what I'm trying to motivate everybody. That's you know, across the world listening to this podcast you know you're not going to see or experience it by sitting on you know your couch watching TV you need um, that's how people get these experiences
1: or support the people who are out there in the field research absolutely you know? I'm not made out of money this, what we're doing is going cost a lot of money you know I,
0: and are you guys taking are you, you know? guys taking donations Kevin or you're just going through sponsorships? Uh, sponsorship sponsorships right
1: yeah. we', we have enough to do the um, we have enough to do our mission and oh you know it's a major production company back for us so well that's really all I can say about it
0: Kevin whenever you want to come back talk about anything whether it's your research whether it's your book anything you discovered this podcast is always open to you awesome thank you so much for joining us today man you're welcome thank
2: you